So we are getting into a brand new series this weekend in the book of James. It's a uh, study that we've entitled The New Humanity, The New Humanity. We're going to be going through this uh, powerhouse of an epistle written by James. This guy, James, we're going to talk about him in a minute. Um, and again, that theme is the new humanity. So um, before we get into it, just want to just share a little introduction about what we're studying here. The book of James, I'm sure many of you, how many of you guys have actually read through the book of James before? All right, a lot of you guys have. Um, and if you have read through the book of James before, I'm sure you remember, it's quite the memorable experience. Uh, James stands out uh, from all the other epistles in this unique way, the way in which he communicates, sort of the, the brash tone he takes. He, he's the kind of guy that just goes right for like the jugular on a lot of things and a lot of topics. Um, we see that there in the first verse. If you're in James 1, you see just right there in verse 1, it gives us a lot of background information. It tells us Right, first James. This is written by a guy named James. And a good question to ask here would be, which one? There's a lot of them in the Bible. There's several different Jameses in the early church that had different roles. One of Jesus' disciples, sorry, two of Jesus' disciples named James. Well, it is widely held and strongly believed for for generations of the church that this James is none other than the younger half-brother of Jesus, of Jesus, and we say half brother because they had the same mom, different dad. Do you get that? Okay. Um, Jesus was born of a woman, but of the Holy Spirit. They're half brothers. James, the younger half brother of Jesus. We learn in the book of Acts that this guy, uh, he goes on to be a pillar in the church at Jerusalem, but it wasn't always that way. When you read about Jesus's siblings, uh, one of them listed in the Gospels, James, when you read about these siblings in the Gospel account, they weren't exactly all up on their brother and the whole Messiah thing, much like most of us wouldn't be. If your sibling came home one day and just said, hey, there's this thing I've been meaning to tell you, I've been holding back, but just, just a little footnote, I'm the son of God. And so what's going on? I mean, for most of us, we would say, are you kidding me? Now, I mean, imagine growing up with Jesus, first and foremost. Like, that must have been kind of frustrating. You can't ever blame anything on him. You know what I'm saying? Like, his room is always cleaner. And most siblings, it's like they don't rejoice when their siblings succeed. They usually get, like, jealous and frustrated. So I don't know what this was like. But um, we do know that the scriptures tell us Jesus himself said this. He said that a prophet is not without honor except in his own household, right? There's something about family that no matter what, you come home, they're not gonna let you be what you are in public. You know what I'm saying? You're you. You got your little nicknames. You know what I mean? Like you got your name that your mom calls you that when she says it in front of your friends, you're like, who's that? I don't know who that is, okay? Now, uh, Jesus, in his own household growing up, this was not affirmed to him. His, his own brothers rejected him as, as the Messiah, as the son of God, even James himself. So, so what happened What would it take for you to receive and believe that your sibling is God manifested in the flesh? It would take a miracle. That's what it would take. And you're like, amen. And guess what? That's exactly what happened. There is this miracle called the resurrection. In 1 Corinthians 15, if you read that chapter, it actually details all the different people that Jesus visited after his resurrection, one of which is listed right here, his brother James. I, I, you know, Jesus is the humble servant, so I don't think James was, Jesus is like, back in black, you know what I mean? Like, here I am. I think, I'm sure Jesus was who he was, but, but for James, 
Man, is that not one of the greatest evidences to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, his own brother? went from being a sibling of Jesus to what does it say there? James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. What would it take for your sibling to become your Lord and you their bondservant? Well, it would take something supernatural like witnessing the fact that they have conquered death and that they ascended to the right hand of God. Uh, James came to faith that um, his brother uh, wasn't any other man born of man, but this was the son of God. And I love how James even introduces himself as there in the first verse as a bondservant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but if like this were my epistle and Jesus was my half-brother, I'd probably leverage that a little bit. Like Andrew, a bondservant of God and the brother of Jesus, you know, like get some VIP access. But James is like, this, this guy's life has been changed, man. This is what happens when you encounter God. It's no longer what can God do for me, but it's what can I do for God? How can I serve God? How can I serve people? Uh, James becomes this incredible servant. Now, there's a lot of reasons, uh, scholarly reasons, historical reasons that would lead us to believe that the book of James was written by this younger half-brother of Jesus. But I'm just going to point out one to you that I think is really interesting that I have experienced personally. Um, I have a younger brother. He's not here to attest to this, but just take my word for it. Um, My younger brother growing up, up until a certain point, there is an age, I hate to say this, where my younger brother um, became cooler than me. He was about 17, 18 years old. I was like now the dorky Bible college guy, and he was like getting better than me at skateboarding, which I introduced him to. Um, But there was a time, it was a good time, the glory days, where my brother wanted to do, and he purposely, he seemed to do everything that I did. Always wanted to hang out with me and my friends, always wanted to wear the clothes that I had, and I would get so frustrated um, when I'd go in to get an outfit on or something, and it was missing, and it was in Dan's laundry hamper. And then Dan became a sponsored skateboarder, and I took all of his clothes. It was awesome. But, um, you know, I think that's a great evidence. You know, James, it's interesting here. James, the younger half-brother of Jesus, younger brothers tend to copy and imitate their older brothers. James references one of his older brother's teachings. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus' most famous, probably, discourse and teaching that he gives there. Matthew 5 through 7 uh, chronicles it there. But James quotes from the Sermon on the, on the Mount, his big brother's sermon. He's copying his big brother's sermon over 15 times in the book of James. Whether it's Jesus saying, let your yes be yes or your no be no. James talks about that. Or the importance of not just hearing Jesus' teachings, but doing them and building your life on that foundation. All throughout the book of James, how to have the, the perspective of God toward the poor. Um, it's interesting. What a great evidence to the fact that this really is the younger brother of Jesus copying everything his big brother Jesus did. Now, Uh, This James went on to be an incredible figure in history and in church history, the things that this guy was was able to accomplish. It's amazing what God can do with your life when you present yourself as a servant to him without any restrictions or entitlements of like, this is what I want to do, God, right? Like there's a difference between going, God, this is my plan. Can you make it awesome? Versus God, your plan, God's plan, Drizzy Drake knows, is always better. And so God, whatever your plan is, I want to submit myself to that. And ask that you use me. And James was used in so many ways as a pillar of the church there in Acts. Um, He was uh, martyred for his faith in Jesus. He wouldn't deny that his brother was more than his brother. Uh, James writes this epistle. Notice uh, the second half there, verse 1. This is just some, this is free. This is intro stuff, okay? It says, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. 12 tribes there in verse 1. That is an expression used to describe the Jewish people. 
the 12 tribes, the 12 tribes of Israel. And he's writing this letter to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. This is known as the dispersion of the Jews, scattered and spread all across the known world. And uh, what the enemy meant for evil, God's using for good, because these Jews who are spread and scattered from earth's perspective are divided up, and it's a negative thing, but from heaven's perspective, these are gospel seeds going everywhere. Right? A lot of times we look at churches that divide up and they scatter, and we kind of can see that as a bad thing, but sometimes that's what God does. He sometimes will, will kind of like pound his fists on our kumbaya to spread us out to the people that need to hear about him, right? And that's what we see happens to these Jews. They're spread around, man. They're, they're spread about, and now they're bringing the gospel to people that, that haven't heard the gospel, but James knows that... Um, when you're scattered like that, when you're alone like that, when you're spread around and you don't have the support system that you need, that you're in need at times of some real encouragement. And so he writes this letter to those Christians which are scattered abroad. And I love the way that he writes to them. Um, he writes to them, and this whole book, it's kind of one of those up in your face. Like you, the, the trouble with James, the reason why it's so hard to read, is there's, contrary to like a lot of Paul's letters, Paul's letters contain a lot of truth and doctrine to comfort our hearts. Right? Like, this is true. Okay, that's good. I can rest in that. But what James does is James gets all up in your business. And he's like, you got to change that. And you're like, can you just tell me something true? Yeah, here's what's true. You need to change, right? Um, and so that's kind of how James approaches things. And, and, but it's not, listen, let's get this straight, okay? And this is why we've entitled this series The New Humanity. The reasons which and the purpose for James giving such practical instructions for Christians is, hear me out, is not so they can feel good about their right standing with God. There is only one fuel to feel good about your right standing with God, and it's the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross once and for all. If you want to feel good about whether or not God loves you, stop looking at your performance, start looking at Jesus' performance. That's the stamp of God's approval over your life. This is not about things that we must do in order to be right with God, but this is about things in our lives that start to take the form of the life of God. Um, he calls this, this, this remnant, this scattered group, in verse 18, we'll get to it, he calls them God's creatures. Such an interesting phrase, kind of weird even, right? Like we're God's creatures, that's interesting. It reminds me for some reason, remember as a kid, you guys remember the toy Creepy Crawlers? A couple of us, 80s kids, anybody? Okay, Creepy Crawlers. I remember the creep. Anyway, I just think of that. Anyway, that's, that's, not, that's not even my notes. Let me keep going. Um, and what James is saying is this. He's saying this great truth, this great doctrinal truth of, of what 2 Corinthians proclaims, that if anyone is in Christ, you don't just get a new start. You get a new heart. If anyone is in Christ, you don't just get a new year that you can start clean from, but if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. What God has come to do for us is not just give us good advice to fix up our old broken life, but he comes to give us new life altogether. He comes to make us new. It's been said, Jesus didn't come to make bad people good people. He came to make old people new people or dead people living people. And so James is describing what that looks like. What does it mean to be this new humanity, these new creations? I, I love that. I love that angle because even there in verse 1, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. So James is writing to these people who are living amongst society, uh, with society, with, um, surrounded by humanity, but they're living as a new humanity, 
within that context. And so uh, I believe that it is extremely applicable to us today as we are those who are in the same light. We are a city on a hill. We are a city within a city here in South Florida. We are a new humanity living within an old humanity. And um, my heart and my hope is that through this study that we, we experience this new life in such a way that people look on and they start to get intrigued about what we have, and they go, what is that about the way that you walk through trial? What is that about the way that you walk through temptation? What is that about the way that you don't just talk about your faith, but you live out your faith? What is it about the way that you keep your commitments? What is it about the way that you steward your money? What is it about the way that you care for the poor and you don't show favoritism to the rich? That's countercultural in Boca, guys. That's huge. Now, we live this kind of way, and people look on and they go, what is it? And we say, it's not what is it, it's who is it? It's Jesus. He makes all the difference. Amen?